Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well-being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine miller Karras. I am Elaine miller Karras, your host for Resiliency Within. You can also watch today's show on Facebook Live at our Resiliency Within Facebook page. So today's show um, will address how you can cope with parental and child anxiety as children are returning to school. The anxiety may be sparked as parents leave their children in the care of others with a nagging worry about COVID-19 and whether it can be spread through a school. Parents who believe in vaccinating may be worried about children who live with non-vaccinated parents and how that could impact their children's health. And people who don't believe in vaccinations may be worried about how they're going to be accepted and how their child is going to be accepted in the school. Some parents may experience panic attacks and increased irritability. And with the recent spread of the Delta variant, parents may feel more uncertain of whether to send their children back to school or not. In addition, parents want to know about school protocols for safety and connection. Parents are also concerned about how schools are going to be addressing the loss of learning that may have happened during school closures. Therapists Susan Reedy and Inez Tiger will discuss how parents can cultivate their well-being and reduce their anxiety and help their children as they return to school. They bring rich experiences of being school counselors. They will share their knowledge about how to help parents navigate the journey along with their children. I will share a little more about my guests, and I know that there is more detailed information available on Voice America's Resiliency Within page online. Susan Reedy is a licensed marriage family therapist with a private practice in Arcadia, California. She's a senior faculty and trainer for the Trauma Resource Institute, teaching parents, caregivers, students, school counselors, and faculty the community resiliency model skills. Susan also um, specializes in child-centered play therapy, and Susan worked for 13 years as a consultant at Mayfield Junior School, an independent K-8 through school in Pasadena, California, where she taught parent education courses and introduced CRIM skills to second to fifth graders. Now, Inez Tiger is the director of wellness at the Rabbi Jacob Pressman Academy, an independent school in Los Angeles, and a licensed marriage family therapist. She has two decades of experience working as an elementary and middle school teacher, council facilitator and trainer, a middle school counselor, and a middle school principal. And as the director of wellness, she coordinates and teaches the C learning curriculum for K through eighth grade coaches teachers, students, and parents, and affects school's culture. She received training in the community resiliency model and now teaches parents, students, and educators this model. Oh, my, do I have very experienced guests. And, you know, I did not know, Inez, that you had been a principal before getting this bio. So I am like even, I just get more and more impressed by you every time I hear about the things that you do in the world. So I have just a preliminary question for both of you. Just what's on your mind today as we start? And Inez, I'm going to start with you. Can you share with us what's on your mind today? Sure. So um, we returned to school this week. Um, as administrators and the teachers are coming back in two weeks. 
And I'm aware that it is another year of COVID we're going into. So teachers are still in the marathon. Uh, We had a moment of reprieve when we could remove masks, but we're going back with masks. We're going back still on heightened alert. And so it's going to be another year of working through the anxiety and 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 sitting with some of the the issues that we were looking at as before. You know, I think um, thank you for sharing that, Inez, because I think that's something that we were hoping that we weren't going to have to deal with, wasn't it? Um, and I think that we all know that this we're still in the midst of this pandemic, and so having to be very mindful of how we support not only ourselves, teachers, parents, and children. So and so I'm going to turn this over now to Susan and ask you where you are today, Susan, as we're starting. Yeah, I was feeling a little pang as Inez said that because this is my first year not going back to the classroom. I made a decision to go full time into my private practice, but knowing that some of the families from my school will be here in my um, private practice office and I will be still able to support them. So I remember running that marathon and so not being a part of it this fall, I can kind of feel that um, Uh, just a tender spot inside really just with my heart being with these teachers who have just just watching their dedication to not only making sure children were learning but also that they were safe in mind and body and I have just both the utmost respect for teachers and for all the parents who had to kind of don that teacher tutor caregiver role while trying to do their own work um, last year so so just just know all of you who are listening, you're you're my superheroes, and um, I'm really really admire everything that um, people with young children in their life have done to to just cope with this this really traumatic year we've had. Well, I love that you're calling them superheroes, but I imagine there's many parents going out there. If she only knew, I don't know if superhero is the word that fits me right now. But I, if you watch something... the Avengers, they're kind of a crazy bunch. You oh, know? They? Okay, the <laughs> Avengers. All right, I'll remember that one. So I just I have a, another you know question to ask both of you. I've known you both, and I've been impressed by your dedication to children, teachers, parents, um, families. Um, so I'm just wondering. If you each of you could just maybe tell me a little story about what ha- what about your lived experience has impassioned you in doing the work that you're doing in the world today. So this time I'll start with Susan. So Susan, do you want to share a little story of you know why you, why do you do what you do? Because I just know you to be such an amazing you know counselor, therapist, mentor to so many people. Well, it all started when I was 13 years old, and the choir director at my church had a baby. And I decided that that baby was going to be mine. And (laughs) I remember watching with just intensity every single transformative experience that she had, whether it was the first time she rolled over or was able to eat solid food or, you know, started crawling and would would grow. And so I spent probably from 13 to 18, we were a part of each other's lives. And I remember at that moment thinking, no matter what I do in the world, watching children grow and develop will always be the most fascinating thing that is that is just in the universe. So some people might like rocket ships, some people might like, you know, paleontology. But for me, child development was absolutely foundationally fascinating from the age of 13. Oh my goodness, that little special baby, and I imagine that's she has special. She has two sets of twins now, and she's got <laughs> five kids with two sets of twins, so she's, she's a I'm mom glad of that five you baby keep girls. up with her. Oh my goodness, that's a wonderful story. Well, and then how about for you, Inez? What, what, what made you kind of go into this path in your personal journey? Yeah, so growing up in South Africa, 
um, growing up in schooling of corporal punishment <laughs> and kids were seen and not heard, um, coming to America as, a, as an educator, my first school was a, my first multicultural school because I grew up in segregated schools. Um, I realized very quickly that you don't need to have power over children, that you can actually connect with them and they will feel seen and heard. And so I had to undo all my training as a child here in America, learning that with mutual regard and connection and safety and love, they can be uh, seen and heard. And that just informed my practice, not only as a teacher, but then becoming a therapist to help parents realize they don't have to do what they did when they were raised that way. There are Mm -hmm. other ways to connect. So that was transformative. Well, and as you're saying this too, I've just known you to be such a the gentle person as you bring forth your caring for individuals. So I didn't know that part of your story. So thank you so much for sharing it with us all. So, um, so as we move through, I'm just going to ask you, start asking you a few questions and we're going to take turns. So um, as school counselors, when we're talking about helping others, just curious about what is helping each of you get through right now. So Inez, I'll start with you this time. Sure. You know, um, I think for me, what's helping me the most are my resources. A resource is something that brings your nervous system peace, joy, and calm. And whenever I feel myself becoming overwhelmed, dysregulated, upset, I go back to my resources very quickly. I've I've actually become a speed master with my resources, bringing them up so quickly that it immediately calms my body. And my favorite is the beach. I have in my mind my hammock. I'm sitting on my hammock in the beach, and immediately my whole nervous system calms. And we brought a lot of these community resiliency skills to our school so that children walk around very quickly and immediately they can identify their resource because it's such a quick way to to regulate. So bringing up my resources has been phenomenal. Well, I love that because Mm -hmm. what we say is what we pay attention to grows. And so you're really growing their well-being and we're going to be talking about well-being. And so how about for you, Susan? Yes, I'm going to echo a lot of what Inez just said. I I keep a mental um, resource journal and specifically through this past year, it's been about little stories of resilience that the children and families in my particular scope have shared with me. So like I have a 10-year-old um, child who learned the crim skills and they were so transformative to him. And when his family took in a foster three-year-old, he is now determined to teach her all of the, all of the skills um, to help her nervous system cope. Um, I had a teen who had had some trauma experience with vaccines had you know passed out a couple of times and she worked through with these skills and was able to get her COVID vaccine without um without passing out and so these little stories when when you have a body moment when you think things are getting really rough like it is not good out there and and that is that is true there are hard things and they're not dismissing that but looking at what what else is true and me having these little moments where when I feel oh am I making an impact is is what I'm doing just even a small drop in the ocean these stories these memories these remembering when moments they really kind of infuse just a felt sense of hope into my body and that gives me energy um to to do to do one more hour one more session one more phone call and that's that one step you need to take each day so i want to let our listeners know that for some it might be their first time listening to resiliency within is that when they call crim crim stands for the community resiliency model it's a set of six wellness wellness skills that is actually taught throughout the world 
and the Trauma Resource Institute, which is our sponsor, actually gives trainings. And if you want to know more about the community resiliency model and how to get trained in it, you could go to www.traumaresourceinstitute.com. But we also have a free iChill app that's available on Android and um, the Apple Store. And you can just put iChill, not not iChill my beer, but iChill. And you'll, you can learn all the skills um, on, a, on a very simple so, and we'll probably be referring to CRIM skills so that you know that they are a set of wellness skills and they're about not only developing resources, but reading your nervous system, which you both beautifully just described. So let's move on a little bit and talk about, you know, what is your definition and how do you create well-being? So let's, um, Susan, I think you're... I think you're next to start first. I'm going to try to keep track of this. Yes. (laughs) Well, Elaine, ever since I met you about 11 years ago, um, one of the most important things you have ever taught me was how to, we, we use the word track, but which is essentially to read my nervous system. So, and that's noticing when I have a sensation in my body on the inside that is distressing, or if it's a sensation, like I was just talking about with remembering these, these good outcome stories is a sensation of well-being. Maybe it's a little more relaxed in my shoulders and openness in my chest. And this skill of really knowing where I am at on the inside, um, when I do that, I am much more able to interact well in the world. I communicate well to my family. If I'm cranky, I notice it before I act it. And I'll actually say to my family, I'm sensing a sandpapery feeling inside of me that's probably <laughs> going to rub you guys wrong. So right now I'm just going to put my hands on the counter. I'm going to feel the cool smoothness and I'm going to try to create a little more smoothness inside to me. So well-being to me isn't trying about trying to make everything around me more comfortable or even, you know, perfect. Um, but it's about building this knowledge of my own personal nervous system, what's distressing and what's well-being inside so that I can, I can, I can know where I am. And then from there, I can begin to know where would I like to go. So I would say well-being is less about circumstances for me is what I've learned and more about knowing where I'm at. So if I need to do something to lean more towards well-being, I can read that a little earlier. And it's kept me from yelling at my children quite so much as I used to, which is a total wonderful thing. I'm sure they they appreciate that. (laughs) Well, and how about for you, Inez? How would you describe well-being? I love that description, Susan. I love it. Um, For me, it's, it's, there's nothing like children to teach you whether you are following your well-being definition or not. (laughs) It's a pause. It's definitely a pause. I'm learning and I've learned um, to actually take a moment to see what's coming in, to sit with it, yes, where it lands in my body, what I'm feeling, and then to be very, very mindful and deliberate how I respond. And taking that pause um, just gives me moments of calm through the storms, through all the storms of life. So for me, it's definitely been about learning how to take that pause. So I just wanted to say, too, that sometimes people call well-being also their resilience. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's a lot of discussion about what does resiliency mean. But I think for us, we're talking about a discernment between knowing the difference between sensations of well-being and distress and knowing that we have the capacity within ourselves to lean into one or the other with intention. Because we're really talking about an awareness. That's what I'm really hearing from both of you. So that really brings me that. You know, what is the first thing that you share with parents who tell you that they're struggling with anxious thoughts about their family, their kids, whether it's about their academics, their emotional health, or returning to school after the 
you know, the COVID-19 or just even the social unrest that's been really sweeping through the country and the world in the last years. So now, um, Inez, I'm going to go with you first. (laughs) Yeah, this has been the number one question on a lot of parents' minds. Um, The first thing I want to tell parents is to really, without inviting parent blame, because we have so much on our shoulders, I really want parents to plug into themselves first. Because we know that, a, a as um, therapist Rizma Menachem says, that regulated, settled bodies regulate settled other bodies. And so when we are calm and settled, then we can settle others. And so to first see how they can put on their oxygen mask first and to really figure out how they can regulate their nervous system, name their emotions, see what sensations are happening for them, and then they can model that for their children. That's number one, because when you are overwhelmed by anxiety and dysregulated, it's very hard to to create ease and connection with anyone, never mind your children. So that's the first thing I'd want to do is to help them. How are you coping? What's getting you through? What are your resources? What else is true for you before we look at how we can help your child? Well, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking that you're modeling, modeling this, both of you on the show, because we started out with talking about things that help you to get through the times that we're living in. So, Susan, over to you. So, how would you respond to that question? Yeah, I think one of the most important things for me is to, like, even how Inez started that question is the idea of reducing parent shame and moving away from this model of anxiety as pathology to activation being biology. So I have my three golden words that I always start off with with parents. And yes, I love you are the most normal ones. They're not usually what I say to parents when I first meet them. But when they're describing their anxiety, I say these three words. I say, well, that makes sense. Um, If you are experiencing physical symptoms in your body, maybe you've just noticed your heart has been beating faster. Sometimes we get sweaty palms, there's agitation, irritability. Well, that makes sense, right? We have been receiving strong messages about what is safe or what is not safe over the last 18 months. And while these sensations are, are real and they're big and As Inez and I have talked about, there are skills that can help you move towards less distressing sensations. Um, They still, they make sense. Security and safety, they are the primary drivers of practically everything in our life, right? And when we have this sense, there's a researcher, a psychologist, his name is Stephen Porges, and he's come up with this term, it's called neuroception. And that's sort of the sensation in the back of our minds that something's not quite right and we feel it as a felt sense in our body. And then our body does exactly what it's supposed to do and it gets us ready for action, whether that's a fight flight response or we kind of are the people who sort of tend to possum or kind of go into more of a freeze response. And anxiety is a common part of our humanity. So I just want all parents to know we want to help you so that it doesn't overwhelm your system, but it is a common human response. In fact, I recently read a study that said two thirds of of people out there, especially kids and teens, are experiencing these symptoms that we call anxiety. So therefore, it's not pathological if it's a common human response. And what we'd like to help you do is help reduce the sense that you're broken and say, what can we do with this information in our body so you're not feeling it in a way that's inhibiting you, but it can be something that can help you figure out, I need to do something to calm my body so that I can be more effective in what this information is telling me to do. So what I'm hearing is that the anxiety actually is kind of like a little signal saying something's Mm -hmm. going on, right? So, and then if it's a little signal, then how is it... um, 
directing me in a behavior? Am I doing something maybe that's not the healthiest for myself to reduce the anxiety? Or can there be some skills of well-being that may help you that are organic to help manage that anxiety. So I, I love that what you're saying. Of course, I think you got, would both know that, that it's not really about what's wrong with you. It's about how we're designed, how our biology alerts us if there is a danger. So this kind of, and I think what is hard for me, I mean, you know, I'm a grandparent. I have a wonderful five-year-old, almost five-year-old granddaughter that will be starting kindergarten. And you know what concerns me, get, brings me anxiety is the unknown about when she goes to kindergarten you know, will she be exposed to this new variant? And even though she's a healthy child, will something happen to her? And I imagine there may be not only grandparents, but a lot of parents and probably teachers that are also not only worried about themselves, but, you know, knowing many teachers, including both of you being teachers, that you have such love for your kids, you don't want anything to happen to them either. So, you know, I think that this next question is that sometimes parents ask, do I need to hide my anxiety for my kids? How to put on a brave face when I'm feeling so worried, which really could be the whole bucket of everyone that deals with a child, including the person who works at the school, who's the administration person in the front desk who greets kids when they come in in the morning. So what would you suggest? How should parents have and caregivers, teachers, have that brave um, face for kids or should we do something differently? So let me go up to Inez. Um, since Susan just shared. Yeah. You know, um, the well-known psychiatrist Dan Siegel says, name it to tame it. And then what, what he means by that is when we're having a sensation in our body, when we're having and we can relate to the emotion associated with it, to name it and to tame it is to control it so that it doesn't absorb us, right? To hide what we're feeling, to hide what we're sensing is just going to create more instability and unpredictability. Yes, there is so much unpredictability right now. So looking at things we can control and things we can't control. The things we can control is our well-being. So our sensations of well-being. What does bring us relief? What does regulate us? What does help us to calm ourselves so that we can be in a sense of ease? And then our prefrontal cortex, which is you know, the CEO of our brain to say, okay, I'm calm now. Now I can go and ask the questions I need to know. Now I can gain the information to relieve the unknown. Because when we are um, upset or worried and, and, and dysregulated, no information can come in. And to address your question about the learning loss, yes, it is the number one issue with policymakers and administrators around the United States today. But what we really need to look at underneath the loss is the science of why. And the more that we can understand why we're dysregulated and overwhelmed in terms of our body, then regulate children, then the prefrontal cortex can be at ease so that they can learn and to alleviate that worry of about the, 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 the lagging skills. So I just want to emphasize this too, um, is that when we say that we need to name it to tame it, it's not only the cognitive process of saying, oh, I'm anxious, but where does that land in the body, which is really about the sensory system. So I don't want to give the impression that all we have to say is I'm anxious, because many of us have been very anxious and say, I want to stop being anxious, but we still get into those activated uh, states. So both of you are saying it really is not only the naming of it, but the sensing of it. And that seems to be one of the keys and the portals to reduce the anxiety. So Susan, um, I'm going to have you say more about this after our break. 
Um, I can't believe that we're, we're at break time because it seems like we've only been speaking for five minutes. So, um, but the inf- information that you are both imparting to us is so important. And I think that if we can bring in this nervous system and the education about it, so that it's not only, um, I think you both have heard me say before, not only what we think, not only what we feel in an emotion, but what we sense that it can be something that can help parents right now as they're trying to negotiate and turn the volume down on their anxiety and their worry at this moment in time. So when we return from our break, we will continue this lovely discourse with Inez Tiger and Susan Reedy, who will continue to illuminate us on how we can help ourselves as parents. And I'm going to put myself grandparents. I'm sure there's a lot of grandparents that have worries out there too. Um, and further have this discussion uh, as we're getting very close to, I'm just curious, Inez, when do you, when do you start school? Your, your kids the are there. Yeah, the students come back on the 30th. Of, of on the 30th. So we're just talking about just, oh my goodness, two and a half weeks away. And so I know that many people are starting within the next week and many people by September 1st will all be back in school again. So we really want to emphasize that there are ways that you all can help Turn your volume down on your anxiety and nervousness so that you can not only help yourself, but help your kids and your family. So we will be back in a few in a few moments and we will continue this discussion. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma informed and resiliency focused individuals and in communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at ResiliencyWithin.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Elaine miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. This is Elaine Miller Karras with Resiliency Within, and I'm talking to Inez Tiger and Susan Reedy. Um, they're incredible school counselors that are giving us some tips for parents and others um, regarding the anxiety that we may be facing as kids are getting ready to go back to school again. So, Susan, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked to Inez before the break, and that is, do I need to hide my anxiety from my kids? How to put on a brave face when I'm feeling so worried? What would you suggest on top of um, adding to what Inez has shared with us? This is such a good question. We, we long to give our kids safety. We want to protect our kids. And if we know how yucky it feels on the inside to be so concerned for them, we don't want them to be holding that concern, right? However, trying to put on a face and say, oh, we're all good. It's all good. When you are not all good, doesn't really work with kids. I think the kids can read us better than they read graphic novels. So if you tell them you're good and you're not actually good on the inside, they can tell. This goes back to what I said before, that neuroception, that ability to kind of read what might be happening. You know, if you've ever walked into a room where two people have just been in an argument, even if they get quiet and look at you, that sense you get in your body because it's like something's going on here, right? So, we, and we can also have pleasant neuroception. Maybe you've walked into your auntie's um, kitchen and she's baking your favorite apple crisp and it's like, oh, the world is good, right? These are all sensations that happen outside of our consciousness, but they're readable in our bodies. So, what I always encourage parents to do is to learn some skills and be very honest with their children. You don't have to tell them exactly what you're nervous about. But if a kid says, mommy, are you, are you worried? Are you scared? And, and there's heat in your body or you're feeling some activation. You know, one of the things I learned to say with my kids is, you know what? I think you're right. I think I'm feeling that stress feeling in my body. Sometimes it's in my tummy. Sometimes my hands get sweaty and sometimes I feel it in my chest. You are really good at helping me notice what's happening in my body. What do you think there are? Are there some things we could do together that could help my body feel a little bit better? And I always knew when I said that out loud to my kids, it reminded me, click, you need to do something to move towards that well-being, right? And when your kids get invited to join you and they might know some skills like, mommy, let's get a glass of water and just drink it, okay? Or mommy, I like to push up against the wall and I push really, really hard. Will you do it with me? And we both push up against the wall. This is one of what we call our help now skills in the community resiliency model. We usually end up laughing. We're pushing on a wall. We're sipping water. Sometimes we just look out the window and we count different colors that we see. And then they will actually start seeing if your jaw starts relaxing because some of the tension is moving through your body the kids read that as well and you can say you know what I may still have a lot of things on my mind but my body does feel better now and then you're not only being honest with your children you're being honest with yourself and your own well-being and they're experiencing this this very coherent experience between you and them of what they're reading and what is existing 
So it's, it's, I think this is so important. I can remember in times when I was growing up when I knew that there was something happening, but my parent would say, oh, no, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. But so then it makes you start to doubt your yourself and the way that you are um, na- navigating your own journey through the world. So maybe what I'm thinking is not true, even though I think right. it's true, right? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of what we know in our gut. So you're really trying to help parents really embrace that so that they can also then help their children know that this is part of the lived experience for not only the adult, but um, the child, which actually goes right to my next question, which, you know, and as you shared two very positive statements as we were getting ready for the show with me, and they are, you want every parent, student, and educator to know their autonomic nervous system well. And that may say, what? The autonomic nervous system? What in the heck is that? We've kind of been talking about it already. And you want co-regulation to be on the front of everyone's mind as they interact with each other in this post-COVID school year, which is a little bit of what you've just said, Susan. So can you, you know, give us some more information about this in terms of how you talk to parents about this? Yeah, I love the way Susan just described. She basically described co-regulation <laughs> because you can sense, you can sense what the other person is going through. And um, so let me think about it this way. You know, when we think about um, human beings are contagious, as what Susan is saying, you know, part of being a human species is that we regulate one another's bodies because we wired for connection. And this is through a process called neuroplasticity, where our brains change its wiring after new experiences. So if I see my mother or I see my parent talking to me how she's using her skills to regulate herself, those microscopic parts of my neurons change and they tune and they prune. And what happens is now I, as a child, little by little, I'm taking in what she's doing and it changes changes my physiological state. You know, just with the raising of my eyebrow, or the raising of my voice, I can affect what's going on inside your body. And I can increase. So what, and yes, that was a little scary <laughs> when you raised your eyebrow. So exactly. you that I know can't see her, you're listening. She had this way of raising it that I'm going, ooh, if she did that to me, I would probably really listen and be a little scared. Exactly. Whoa, that's amazing. So if you think about it, you know, you can change someone's body just with your state. If your loved one is in pain, you can lessen their suffering by merely holding their hand. So our physiological states are inherently social. As Susan is saying, that neuroperception is that we are affecting every sense we feel, we do, and experience. So the same with adults. Um, we do the same thing with each other. So when we know about our our, our sensations of well-being in our body, we get a sense of empowerment because we can shift how we regulate and then how we download calm to others. And there's a wonderful um, psychology professor, Lisa Feldman Barrett, and what she says is the best thing for your nervous system is another human. And the worst thing for your nervous system is also another human. She says, therefore, we're not only more responsible for children and for parents and for ourselves than we might think. We're also more responsible for other adults, whether we like it or not. So little by little, we can influence the brains and bodies of those around us with our actions and our words, and then they return the favor. It feels like a lot to take on because just with my awareness of my body, I can impact you. Yes, which makes us more deliberate and intentional with our well-being and that moment to pause and think about how do I want to help you calm once I've calmed? So knowing your body really empowers you to be the CEO of your wellness. I'm just, as you're saying that, I'm going, oh my goodness, I'm also feeling like a little anxiety myself going, oh, I hope I'm not doing anything with to my granddaughter in the times when I'm just not really my best self, which happens from time to time. And so 
I think that there's probably some space that if we start knowing when we're not in our in our zone of well-being, that if we can ooh, catch ourselves, right, and say, oh, maybe I can do something differently, like Susan was saying earlier that she would do with her kids, like the drink of water, then that can make all the difference in the world. So I, I also want parents to, I guess, hear that what we can do is not that difficult. Some of it's very simple. And because sometimes I think we can, we can make it more complicated. I often say less is more. So, and some of these skills are so simple and that you can really sense that in a nanosecond when your nervous system gets into regulation. I mean, you said that that happens to you all the time, Inez, and I imagine you do too, Susan. I don't know if you want to comment on what um, um, Inez has just been speaking about. In, in, in terms of just how, I think when I go back to what, what she was just saying, and I think about this, is that I want to make sure a parent knows that it is okay to have these moments when you're heightened and dysregulated because they're absolutely unavoidable. And so in those moments, the more, we don't have to be transparent about the laundry list of things of stress that's on our minds because it's not really about the cognitions. It's not about the actual stressful events for our child. It's about our child noticing and being aware of what's going on in our body. So I want to tell parents, it's going to happen to you. Your body is going to feel these things. We've been, as I said, receiving messages about what's scary in our environment for a long time. So we have a little part of our brain called the amygdala and it's storing all these scary things and it's giving us lots and lots of messages. So we have a series of 10 very simple, and you can add to them. They're called help now skills. I mentioned a couple of them, pushing on a wall. It helps to kind of get all of that energy out of the body, and you can actually feel the weight of your arms when you're done. I have a favorite of touching a surface. I give all of my students pet rocks, and sometimes at the start of our classes, we would just sit and stroke our rock. And then I would ask them a question, and as you touch your rock, what are you noticing? on the inside and someone would say well it's smooth and I took a deeper breath and I said well just notice that right or I like it that it's cold I want to put it right here on my forehead it helps the hotness in my face kind of fade so these skills and and really sit down with your child and say what are little things that you like to touch that help you feel better what are things you enjoy looking at I mean, I've just had families look around the room and find a maybe a piece of art they love or some colors that they like to look at. And then they start noticing, I'm smiling. Or I had one little kid, this was hilarious. This is when we were doing Zoom. And they, I had them looking around the room for something that, that helped them feel a little bit better on the inside. I never say it made me feel totally safe, but maybe a little safer. And this kid started busting up laughing. He looked up on his ceiling. And I don't know if you remember going to the dentist and you get these fun little toys. He had a little sticky lizard. And he said about two weeks ago, he had flung it up on the ceiling and it was still sticking up there. And we all laughed for the longest time. And laughter helps regulate your nervous system as well. So know that it's not this, this, this science may sound so big. I use words like neuroception, your amygdala, but the reality is there are small sensory things in your environment that soothe the nervous system and you and your child can find them together. So what I'm hearing you both say, it's not only the things that we can do to bring down the anxiety in ourselves and being able to start being aware of ourselves, but it's also helping our cha- our children learn the same things. Because if they're able to do that, then that whole system you called co-regulation can happen between the two. And I just even love that when you were saying that your kids would say, Mom, are you nervous? Because <laughs> I've heard people say that 
children have said that. And I think we want to protect our children from the windstorms of life. And I think that children had had have have had to endure a lot during COVID. And so this kind of brings me to my next question, and that is, um, you know. <laughs> Anxiety can be important, like we've said already, as being you know an indicator, like you're saying, the amygdala is sounding the alarm. I think a lot of parents are concerned about, is the school doing enough to keep my child safe? And what do I, or safer? And what, how do I make sure that they're doing that? And if my child is scared, mommy, what if I go into, into the classroom and I get COVID? Mommy, am I going to be okay? I mean, kids have not are not immune for asking the same questions as the parents ask. And, you know, we even talk about teachers, how are we keeping our teachers safe? Teachers have been to me, the first, you know, the first responders. And, um, and I know that you all as teachers want to keep your kids safe. So um, I'm not, I'm forgetting which one I started with last. So I think it's Susan. I'm going to go with first this time. <laughs> okay. Susan. So, you know, this is everybody gathering information is an important thing for regulating our nervous system. We want to know protocols. Having a system so helps us. So what I'm going to, and I know I might sound like a broken record, but I really believe it, is that while I want you to get information from your school, while I would like you to be able to feel like you can get your questions answered, and I know that's hard because it's such a flux of maybe policies change day to day as new information comes from the CDC, as schools have to change according to this Delta variants, easy transmittability. But what I do know is that these what we call top down approaches, which are more cognitive, like, well, if I can get all the information, and I know it can know the exact science, and I can know exactly what the school day is going to look like, then I will relax. Sometimes that helps, but if our bodies are highly activated, all the information in the world, it doesn't have a chance to absorb. Studies have shown that when you are feeling a lot of stress and anxiety in your body, your this is the part of the brain that does kind of your planning, your strategy, your functioning, it, it sort of diminishes in its ability to work well when there's a lot of stress hormones flooding the system. So I would love for 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 parents to know that getting this information from the school is important. But before you sit down to write your list of questions or maybe to have a conversation with the teacher, you're actually going to get a lot more information when your nervous system is settled. And this is why we teach bottom-up approaches. So doing um, something that is helping your well-being before you launch into these conversations with the schools, because we can create adversity. I've seen adversity happen in my school where a parent is really upset because their nervous system is in that fight flight mode, but they come in and they just launch attacks at administrations. And I understand you are doing your mama bear, right? However, you're going to get be able to receive the information the school is giving you in a more cognitive way of understanding it when your nervous system is in a more regulated space. So these bottom-up approaches of resourcing, which we talked about bringing in these memories of well-being, the help now skills, these are all on the iChill app. So doing these skills first, then sit down with your partner or whoever's helping you raise the children, create a list of things that are important for you to know that the school is doing as you send your child back. And you're going to have a much more co-regulated, as we've been talking about, conversation with administration and teachers when your body is in a better place. And that's going to be information your brain can take in and manage a lot better. So um, thank you so much, Susan. And I'm going to ask you, Inez, to, to also give your um, perceptions about this, knowing that you're in a school, and I know there's people that may be 
anti-vaxxers, vaxxers. I don't want to wear, I don't want my child to wear a mask. My child needs to wear a mask. I don't want my child in a classroom with someone who's not wearing a mask. I can't even imagine all the, the, the noise that happens about this right now. So can you kind of just give us the perspectives that you have on this issue as well? Yeah, I think um, I love what you said, Susan, is that when we are calm and regulated, we can take in the information. However, and when we don't like what we're hearing and we're upset with the school, um, it's hard to take that in. It's hard to, to, to sit with the difference. And what I tell a lot of parents, um, I actually had a parent who was exceptionally upset with our policies and protocols. And I said, I tell you what, first of all, let's ground. <laughs> Before we have this conversation, can we please ground? Because they were so angry. So we grounded, we calmed. And then I said, can you tell me what you do know? Let's start with what you do know. What feels safe right now for you and your family and your child coming to our school and what's working? What do you not know? What questions do you have about what you don't know? So what can I count on for safety of my child at your school? And what can I not count on? And help me understand that. And I do the same thing with children. When they walk in and they're freaking out, it's calm, first ground or resource, whatever tools we can use. And then what do you know? What can you count on? So regulate the system because the system is so scared of the unknown. Then let's talk about what what questions you have and let's see how we can figure those out. You know, we are a very diverse community. And even though our school, um, we follow the CDC guidelines and the, the science of keeping our children safe, we do have parents who differ with us. And we welcome the difference. We welcome a, 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 a meaningful dialogue around the difference. But our goal is keeping the kids safe in the best way that we can. Um, so I think for us... It's honoring the differences, but at the same time, what do I know and what do I need to know? You know, there's one question that actually just came to me as you were talking, and we know that there are some children that have are fortunate to be healthy and well, but and other children have health conditions that put them at greater risk. So they, you know, if you have a parent that has a child with diabetes, for example, or has, you know, chronic asthma or things that we know could put them at risk, how do you approach talking to them about their concerns? And I'll start with Susan this time. Yes. And and that I feel is so, um, I, I would hope that most schools, our school was a small enough school that we could actually reach out to the families that were in that situation. You know, if we knew there was a diabetic situation and just, I think doing some extra prep work around what this family really needs to make sure that their child stays safe because they do have autoimmune conditions or they have things that make him extra. And so like, I mean, our school, we set up the nurse's office in a very private space that was very open, um, a large classroom. So if a child needed to do anything in there, we made Made sure we, we opened up a, um, we actually had a testing site every Monday on site where people could get COVID tests so we could know if anything was going on within our community. Um, so I think that sense of saying to a parent, this is an important question. And for a parent to feel that from a school. So if there's any educators out there, please know that even if you have a parent that seems to be very like persistent saying, how are you going to help my child? My child has special, you know, situation going on here. They can't be exposed at all. Please let that parent know you hear their concerns and that you're going to talk to the administration, the school nurse, whoever is responsible. And, and we created such beautiful out on the field. All the kids got their little hula hoops and they love their hula hoops. They were their personal spacecraft as well as their COVID space bubble. Right. So there's these, there's so many things that um, 
a school is 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 wanting to do to create this safety, but being sure that you know you have a right to reach out and say, my child has specific things. Is there are there extra precautions that we can utilize within the precautions you're already taking? So the parent may have to be an advocate for their child because yes. the schools may not be as enlight as enlightened as the school that you were yes, in. I know. And right. larger. So, I mean larger schools, it's just it's right. just physically so harder. I just want to really emphasize to parents I had a child that had a was learning um, learn differently. So I had to do a lot of rabble rousing and sometimes it wasn't always appreciated, but it was important for that child to have um, equity in education. And to me, equity in education also includes taking in this knowledge and how kids can be at greater risk. So Inez, do you have anything to add to what Susan said about these situations? I love it because what's underneath this conversation is, is truly that, that inclusion, right? And when a parent comes to a school, they just want to know that they're not going to be seen as an other. They want to be seen as, I have a concern just as everyone else, and how is your school in alignment with your mission and your values so that you can make my child feel included for whatever the issue is, whether it is physiological, psychological, you know, physical. And so it's really important for parents to, to bring that mission-aligned uh, question to the school. You say you stand for this. Here is our issue. How can we marry that together so that everyone can feel connected and included? Well, and as you both are school counselors, and I know there are many school counselors across the country, across the world, to know that you can reach out to a school counselor because they might help you negotiate those very difficult conversations about your concern about your child's safety. Now, I want to ask another question, and that's um, interpersonal relationships have suffered, and many of us are clunky and unsure in our interactions as we reacquaint with one another. For example, we might love someone who's a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer and going, oh my gosh, how do we even, do we even talk about that? We'll just avoid that conversation altogether. Now, how can parents help their children with these social skills? skills in a supportive way while still honoring these safety boundaries and helping them understand there's diversity in what maybe they may be experiencing at school. So, okay, Inez, you get to go first on this one this time. A lot of us have had um, transformational moments and fractures in friendships. We saw that a lot when we went back in person for the last few months this year, especially because children were in pods. So they didn't get to see their friends. Relationships got separated and, renegotiated. So I think at the heart, so first of all, I want to tell parents, there is no app for relationships. It takes time. Okay. It's going to take time as they reconnect and make new friends and the pods have expanded to, to bigger classes. That's number one. Three things I suggest because at the heart of friendship is empathy, right? And how to cultivate that empathy is to help their children read body language with the masks This has been truncated. We can only read the eyes or the tone. So to really help children become aware of the nonverbal cues, the the cues that they're giving out as well. Effective statements. I I use this with children all the time. I statements. I So speaking your needs to your friend, what you need versus you, because that reduces the blame, the defensiveness. And what we're asking our children is to take responsibility for their actions through the self-awareness. And then reflective listening. You know, um, this is a big, big issue I've found with because of COVID and being on Zoom school, our attention span has gone down to about three minutes. So not even, maybe 30 seconds. So really taking time to listen to our children 
being not, because often when we're listening to someone, we're so busy thinking of our response, but truly listening, teaching them to listen, and then reflecting back what they're saying. Just those three little skills, of course, there are more social skills for interaction, but that really helps initially as they're making new friends or forging old bonds and reconnecting, um, really getting to the heart of empathy. Well, it sounds like this is also a, a good recipe for parents as well. If they're talking to other parents, I can see this kind of being helpful across the line and for teachers. So, Susan, do you have anything that you'd like to add? Yes, I've been I've been telling children and and their parents that we're we're kind of coming out of of this. It's like coming out of winter and going to the beach for the first time, and we're getting a little sunburned by our interactions, right? We we haven't had a, it's kind of an, a a lot of that kind of little bit of a sun at a time, so we don't get so burned. So we don't have calluses on our fingers. We don't have social calluses. So so there's these moments that we're going to sting. Somebody's going to say something to us, or it's going to seem unkind, and it's learning how to say oh, I've been in kind of a little cocoon and now I'm, I'm coming out of the cocoon. And so how do I begin to build up this kind of sense of, oh, that was the not nice thing that person said and I can recover and I can move forward and I can find someone who I do want to play with. So I my favorite word to work with kids with is how do you be curious? So if someone kind of said something that seemed short or was seemed rude to you, how do you kind of say, well, that didn't that didn't settle well in my body. I didn't like it. I'm curious about what's happening in this place. And I'm curious, do I need extra help from an adult? Or I'm curious, could I ask that person, what did you mean by that? Or do I need to wait and and take it home and talk to my mom and dad? But instead of immediately making a judgment, how do we open up curiosity and say, I wonder what that person is going through? And that goes back to what Inez was just saying about empathy. It's cultivating that sense of we have all been through an experience and we don't know what is happening in other people's lives. We don't know if they've lost someone to COVID. We don't know if who's raising them now. Have they lost a parent or have they lost a grandparent? And that empathy and that sense of curiosity for why their story might look rough to you right now. But if you knew the whole thing, would you have more open arms? You'd have, yes. I mean, both of you are such empathic, compassionate women. And we are almost done. I can't believe that we've gone through this so quickly. So if any if any of our listeners would like to reach out to you, um, I'm going to ask you first, Susan, how would they contact you through your website? Could you just say that your website out loud so people would know what it is? Yes, it's not too hard. So it's Susan Reedy, all one word, S-U-S-A-N-R-E-E-D-Y-M-F-T.com. Okay. So um, you can visit me there. <laughs> Thank you. And how about for you, Inez? How could people contact you? So for my private practice, they can contact me on Psychology Today. Just pop in my name, Inez Tiger, and you'll find me there. You've had all the information. So I just want to say to both of you, thank you so much. Um, we just have a couple minutes left. So I'm just wondering, and maybe in just a couple words each quickly, if you could just give a parting thought to our parents out there who may still have some anxiety because we now know it's normal. So um, to you first, Inez. Um, I would leave with take a pause. Take, take a pause. pause. Okay. <laughs> and how about for you, Susan? Um, yeah, I think I have four things that I think all humans need. Don't I see have one you, <laughs> I see you, I hear you, I understand, and I care. And I think if your eyes say that to your children every day, at least in some portions of the day, you're doing a good job at nurturing those little bodies. So, Susan, thank you so much. You both have so much wisdom. I just want to remind all my guests to remember what else is true in your life right now with the anxiety that we know is part of the human experience. And 
This is Resiliency Within. I'm Elaine miller Karras signing off for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within, with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.